The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you can avoid without power. Oh, wait, you are electrified, aren't you? So you have to have power. So that would have worked out or not worked out that way. So it would have been that way. All right. Well, guys, I invite your attention this morning to the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and 29. Uh, Romans chapter 28 verses 20 or chapter 8, 28, 29. And also we'll be going to Ephesians 5, continuing on from last week. Um, as many of you know, we've been in a study of uh, what is uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And before we get there, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all fathers. As we often say at Mother's Day, you may be a widower. Your wife may have passed. You may be a young man who God will bless someday with, with, with that. But gentlemen, happy Father's Day to those who have grandkids, kids. If you've lost kids, whatever it may be, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, may God be glorified in all that you say and do today. Um, so men today, we're going to talk about being men one more time. Uh, Brother John Higgins, if I can have you do the wave, I think most people know who you are. This is John, uh, and John's going to be preaching next week to, to round out our series on biblical manhood and womanhood. So brother, thank you for that very, very much. Appreciate that. Uh, someone asked, what is next after we do biblical manhood and womanhood? Well, uh, we're going to pick up back in the book of Mark, where we took a break from the last couple months, and we're going to begin looking at the lives of the individual apostles, is where we're at, the call of Christ on the individual apostles' lives. So you can look forward to that as we do. But I have a question for you this morning. There's no PowerPoint today. Uh, power or not, there's no PowerPoint, so we are not going to do that. Uh, Adam, can you turn on the house lights for us too as well, brother, if you can? Um, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And as we do this, I have a question for you. Um, do you, if you had a choice, in my Sunday school class, we, you cannot cheat on this, okay? Uh, if you had a choice between keeping $1 billion or memorizing the whole Bible, which would you pick? The whole Bible, all right. Uh, whoever said that, you get a pat on the back. Would you do a $1 billion or memorize the whole Bible? Think about this for a second. Some of you say, I can't memorize anything. Let's just pretend for sake of argument. You can memorize at whatever age you are the whole Bible and know the Bible. Like not just forget 10 seconds after you put down the note card that's plastered everywhere you go, but you really know the whole Bible. Which would you choose? I, I, I know this is weird. It's a Baptist church. We don't often raise our hands. That's, that's charismatic, right? So you can't raise your hands. So, that's a bad joke, guys. But serious question. How many of y'all, and no shame on either side of this fence, how many of y'all would take the billion dollars? Be honest. Be honest. One, Anna Scanlon, two, three, four. You are, you're brave, and you've got some other brave people. Five. How many of y'all would pick the Bible to be memorized completely? How many have no idea, because that's probably never going to happen to you no matter what happens to you? Most of yeah, most of y'all would say that. Uh, that's right. Here's an interesting thing about that. Why do I bring this up? I'm going to give you a third option here in just a second, but why, why do we bring this up? Well, think about this. If you could memorize the whole Bible, that would be kind of good, wouldn't it? You get to know God's Word. You get to know the God of the Word. That's great. But what if you could use your billion dollars to get a software that could teach you 
the word, and you could use that billion dollars for missions, for church projects, for paying off your student loans that never seem to go away, you know, whatever else that it is. Would you do it with that perspective? How many of y'all, let's do that again. How many of y'all would do the billion dollars if you could memorize the Bible that way? No? How many of y'all would still keep with the Bible? How many of y'all still have no idea what I'm asking right now? <laughs> Most of y'all are still in that boat. <laughs> Happy power, powerless uh, post-morning. Now, let me throw another crux at you. Let's say you had a choice between a billion dollars, you had a choice between memorizing the Bible, and you had a choice between being a faithful nobody but was a faithful husband or wife. Faithful meaning that you never, you just did what God asked you to do at home. Can we do a show of hands again? Can I put you on the spot? How many of y'all would do the Bible? One, two, three, four. How many of y'all would do the billion dollars? All the kids raised their hands, so that's right. How many of y'all would do the last option? Faithful man or woman, husband, whatever it is. A lot of your hands. And how many of y'all are still very confused where you're at right now? So <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? It really is interesting. Because even with the right motives to each one of those, we each have a motivation that gets us to pick those things, don't we? And those things inform us exactly, exactly what we are going to talk about today. Friends, you could rightfully use your billion dollars to memorize scripture in one other way and give it all to missions. You could do that. It's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin about how you handle it. You could rightfully memorize all the Bible and be as cold-hearted as, as Dr. So-and-so at so-and-so school, so-and-so somewhere else. That's a lot of so-and-sos. You could be the most faithful man. You could be the most faithful person ever in the world but know nothing about Jesus Christ. What we are going to be talking about today is remembering exactly the purpose of why you were created. Men especially. You were created to glorify God in everything that you do. Look, if you get a billion dollars, praise the Lord, you're going to be my best friend from here on out, all right? If you get to memorize, you get to preach up here every occasionally, all right? And if you're a faithful man or a faithful woman, I'm definitely going to be your best friend because that is something that each of us need to be challenged with on a daily basis. Is that not true? Friends, to this morning... I want to encourage us with the truth that God is truly working in our lives when we remember that everything is to glorify him. Do you have Romans 8 in front of you? We, this is very different than we usually do, and I tell you this because I'm doing it differently the last couple weeks. But would you join me in standing? I want to read with you Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, and connect that question to the overall scheme of what it means to be a man and a woman and the motivations that drive us home in everything that we do. Romans 28 and 29, and this is not your Hallmark card verses. We ended here last week, because remember last week, we barely got out of the intro 45 minutes in, but we will land the plane before Brother John preaches next week. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. What is your purpose here in this life? It says this, and we know that for all, for those who love God, all things work together for good. And that's usually where we cut it off, church. What does the Bible go on to say? For those who are called according to this purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christian, what is your purpose here on this earth? It is to be conformed to the image of Christ. If money is your God, and I'm not saying anyone here is using that, but if money is your God, you will be conformed to someone whose money is their God. 
If memorizing the Bible just to be smarter than someone else is, is your God, then that will be your God. But if, if just to be faithful is your God, then you will be faithful to that. But in everything that we do, with balance, according to the Scripture, we point back to the great purpose. And that purpose here is that we know that in all things, those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Darren, how does that relate to being a biblical man or a biblical woman? Sometimes the hardest things we need to do in this life to be a biblical man, biblical woman, is to simply remember that it's all for God's glory in our lives. Will you pray with me this morning as we start off? Father, thank you again that we can come a little bit different the last couple weeks for my style, presentation style, and all those things that are. Father, that aside, we thank you that today we can refresh ourselves or renew ourselves or uh, teach first time ourselves the very truth that is before us. Father, that the greatest goal in whatever choice we have to make is that you should be supreme in all those things. Father, help us not ask if it's a sin, but help us to ask if it glorifies you. Father, that is our goal. Thank you for this dear, sweet church. Thank you for bringing us here after a a, a rough night in the Northland and storms and whatnot. But Lord, you are so faithful. Raise up godly men. Raise up godly women. Raise up godly church members to honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. I want to refresh your mind a little bit from last week, if you weren't here, or perhaps you were, and it's, it's been a week, it's been a night. But as men, as, as we said last week, we know that we fail. We know we fail more often than not. We know we're not movie stars. We know we're not strong. We know we don't make a lot of money. And we know by the world's standards, as godly men seeking to be godly men, that we are really nada. And it's helpful, as we said last week, not to always hear those things from a wife. This is the man, ladies, that we said, especially in a marriage relationship, that God gave you. And although God loves you as a daughter, he also loves your husband as a son. And wives, you can help your son, you can help God's uh, chosen son, not Jesus, but his son, uh, the child of God, to be a better man. Or you can chase him away. And as a husband, you're going to fail as a husband. I failed as a husband. You failed as a wife too, ladies. But if we adopt the attitude, the mind of Christ, things will change. And that is our greatest problem, isn't it? Our greatest problem is that we are not like Jesus Christ as we ought to be. We are not becoming more and more like Jesus, and therefore, we have to make a choice. Friends, we need to make a commitment. We need men to stand up and say, no matter what is in front of me, no matter what great Uh, almost like the uh, old Woodlands racetrack. I think that might still be out there. Those things they put in front of the greyhounds, the bone, so to speak, isn't always the best bone to go chase after. Men, we need men to help one another, to commit, to become better husbands, better fathers, better church members. And wives, we need the same from you as well, ladies. But there is a real sense, as we said last week, where a man is called to lead his home. There are two types of leadership. There is the leadership of Caesar, which is all about me whatever I can get out of the deal. I'm going to do this for my family, my wife, my church, because it's all about me. If I memorize all the Bible, they're going to let me preach. I get to talk in front of people. That's Caesar leadership. But Christ, knowing that he had all authority, wrapped himself in a towel, John 13, and he washed the disciples' feet. And when a man hears he has authority, he often becomes King Kong. Hear me war, lady. ba 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 And he thinks it means that his family is supposed to wait on him, as we mentioned last week, that his family is to rub his feet, 
And maybe that happens. I'm not saying that's sinful, but men, we need to remember that the way of Christ, not the way of Caesar, is the way we are to do our leadership in the home and the church, wherever we are. Our authorities used to be a blessing for our family, not a cursing. And as we go to Romans 8, 28 and move on to Ephesians 5, looking at these various aspects of what it means to be a man, we need to remind ourselves this truth. Why is God working in your life? Through the hard times, through the times no one sees in your prayers, through the bad medical reports, through the crazy stuff that may happen, or just through the daily grind where you feel bored out of your mind, like life has to be bored. He is doing it to shape you to be like Christ by conforming us to the image of his son. That's why the prosperity teachers really do have it wrong, we said last week. They say it's to prosper you. They say it's to give you an easy life, to meet all your sensual desires. But that is a lie. The one great purpose of your life is to make much of Jesus as he makes much of himself in you, a willing vessel submitted to his cause. And that should also be your desire in everything that you do. What is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? For some young single pastors, the purpose of marriage is to get a wife and a kid so that when they submit their resume with a picture to the search committee, that that it looks pretty good. And I'm looking at some seminary kids, and we know this to be very, very true. For some people, the purpose of marriage is I can't cook my own food. Mom's not around anymore, and I can't afford to eat out all the time. And the baked beans just aren't very good for bushes anymore, so I need someone to cook in the kitchen. In most cases, the Lord will give you a man, a wife, who is strong in the areas where she must be strong, but weak in the areas where the man wants her to be strong. And we said last week, for sake of repeating, did God do that because he doesn't like you? He did that because he loves you, and he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it's all about. Friends, dear sister, this is true of you. What if your man met all your conditions? What if every time you said, don't forget about this, he just drops everything he does and goes and does it? That'd be amazing. Well, that's not how it works. You're married to a man with many flaws, or ladies, if you're not married, you may be someday, and sometime that very thing you most want him to be, he's not going to be. To the very fact of that. And what is the purpose of this? The purpose is to make you more like Christ. Perhaps this church hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to be this morning. Perhaps you were looking for something else as you walked in this morning and you said, Darren, this isn't the message I was hoping to hear this morning. Friend, I don't know. But often God uses the things we don't expect or want in our lives in greater ways than the things we do expect and want in our lives even when things don't turn out how you want or how they thought, this is where we learn to be more like Jesus Christ. And you say, Darren, why is this happening to me? Why is my marriage like this? Why is my life like this? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to die to self? Are we willing to die to self? As you serve in the church, as you become a member, as you be a Christian wherever you go, Will you die to self? Husbands, will you love your wife as God has called you to love her? Wives, will you love your husband even despite his repeated failures over and over and over again? Do you know what God's doing among you? He's showing you that you can love your husband even when it hurts, ladies. 
men, he's showing you that he can use you even when your wife may not be anything that you wanted her to be. This is why every father, it's so important to remember that as we do these things, the most radical thing is to love as God told us to love. The most radical thing is not to preach on a street corner, not to wear a Christian t-shirt to work. The most radical thing is to be faithful to what God's called you to be faithful to. That's radical. I am of that generational split right before this happened, I think. But didn't it used to be true if you shook someone's hand, that was as good as gold? Do you remember that? And now, when we get married, we have prenups that, well, if you don't do this or do that, then I'm going to get half of your belongings, you know, or however that works. Many of you in business today know that if you shake someone's hand, you're not sure if that person's really just like doing that, you know, you, you kind of do the wet willy thing, and you shake their hands, or they put it in their ear, or they, they cross their fingers behind you. You don't know. Friends, but the Word of God reminds us that it is absolutely trustworthy, that the most trustworthy truth about being a biblical man and a biblical woman is knowing that as you follow God, He will bless you in that. That is truth. That is truth. What is the purpose of your marriage? What is the purpose of you growing closer to other Christians that are seeking to be a biblical man or a biblical woman? It's to be more like Christ. And with that in mind, if you'll join me, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I just take a minute there. As I said last week, my notes are a little scattered, and I apologize for that. But I think this is worthwhile as we go through it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Friends, I've repeated a lot of the same information week over week over week. Why have I done that? And I've asked myself that. Because these are things that we need to repeatedly hear over and over and over and over. You know, this week, uh, I, and I thank you for the opportunity, church, uh, as part of the budget, to go to Phoenix this last week to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is, uh, as uh, Matt said, the, uh, Matt, I don't forget how you described it, the Holy Roller Convention or something like that. Uh, a bunch of Baptist people getting together. And you know, um, what a great opportunity that is. Thank you for the opportunity to go. And we passed a resolution, we passed a statement that we believe that Jesus Christ died, and when he died on that cross, that was enough. And I had someone question me on the way out, and they said, why in the world did we have to reaffirm exactly that we believe Jesus died for our sins? Because you know what? I don't even know what I ate last night. You know what I'm saying? As Baptists, we reaffirmed a very simple fact of our faith, that Jesus died. He was substitutionary. The great exchange, when he died on that cross, it was enough. And friend, I'm here to tell you the same thing with these truths. We have hammered these home time after time after time after time. But you've stepped out into the world week after week after week after week. And we need to be reminded of these truths. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, gave you some time to get there. It says in verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You know, ladies, you know this verse is here, don't you? You know this verse is here. And as we mentioned last week, I'm afraid to teach on this verse even in a more devotional context because there's always those little tiny men who have no authority who say, yes, it's my time to be king. Ladies, submit to me. Woo, do that. That's what they say. And they use this verse to oppress wives and their children, and that's not what this means. My wife and I are one. We are one flesh. Genesis chapter 2 reminds us, Genesis 2.23, Then the man said, this, speaking of Eve, At last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. 
The Bible never says I am one flesh in marriage with my kids. That says my wife. The Bible never says I'm one flesh with my mama and daddy. It says I'm one flesh with my wife. When I find my wife, I leave my father and mother, and she becomes the most important person to me ever that there will be. But men, we fall to this too often. Many guys get married, and they want to stay around their friends all the time. They want to do something with their friends now and then. But if life is all of them and all of their friends, they have a poor understanding of what it means to be a man. doesn't mean men can't go out with men. You should. But some men go out with men all the time to the exclusion of their wives. Your best friend, men, the person whom you are one flesh, is your wife. She even takes priority over your mother. Now, for many, that is a simple truth. I love my mother, but my mom understood that when I took on a wife, she became woman number two in my life. Does that make sense? I have three kids. I love them very much. I have to be very careful not to have them as idols in my life because being a father is the greatest thing. But those kids, my mother, do not take priority over my wife. Can I give you a really extreme example? If my wife was, if our, if our, we drive across the 291 bridge over uh, Missouri River. Some of you remember that when that bridge was a single lane on both sides, you felt like you were going to fall in the moment you stepped on it. We still do when you're going south on the river. And, you know, friends, this is an odd example, but I think it's biblically true. If our van goes down into the river and I have one chance to save one person, do you know who I save? I save my wife. The Bible never tells me to lay down my life for my kids. It tells me to lay down my life for my wife. Now, there may be other examples to that. I'm not saying that's an absolute, but friends, you understand how easily kids have taken priority even over our own wives. Do you see that? The best thing I can do for my kids is to love their mother before any other human being on the face of the earth. When a father gives more affection towards his children, he's sinning against his wife and his kids. And it creates division and puts everything out of order. Ladies, this is going to make some of you mad, and I don't say these words very straightforwardly, but I do want you to listen. Because of the lack of men leading and loving as they ought, many women have almost a parasitic relationship with their kids. Because they're not getting the affection and tenderness they should be from their husbands, they now go on to their kids. And that's not fair to the kids, because they should seek not from their kids. The women's children become their greatest love. But our kids are not made to your great love. They're not made to get all your emotional needs from them. You are a woman. You are one flesh with your husband, lady. The tenderness and compassion should come from him. Why? Because a woman has a young son. He grows up to be a man. He finds a young woman he wants to marry. And then there are some moms who hate that daughter-in-law because she has loved her son so much that now she cannot see any other world without him. Have you known those relationships before? It's crazy. And the mother hates her, and she says, you've taken my son, my source, and in a sense, she's committing adultery, spiritually speaking, because she has not allowed the process to be what it is. Do you see what happens then when we don't follow God's pattern for our lives? When the man doesn't give his tenderness to the wife, when the wife puts the kids over the husband and starts feeding off the kids, it's crazy. I know that's very strong language, but it's very, very true. I am one with my wife. Husbands, you are one with your wife. 
She's your best friend and, and my closest counselor, and it's my responsibility to lead her spiritually in every other way. But when it comes time to make a decision, I don't just make a decision. I talk to my closest counselor, who is my wife. And I ask her, what do you think we ought to do? Now, let me just be silly for a second, if I may. If she's asking if we should go watch the Oklahoma Sooners or Missouri Tigers, I, I put the rank down and we go see the Missouri Tigers. Amen. But I ask her in the more serious conversations, what do you think we should do? If she agrees with me, I make that decision. If she's not, then it doesn't mean I do what she says just because that's what she says, men. I'm going to wait. I'm going to pray more myself. I'm going to pray more together. We're going to discuss it more until we have a unified decision. And let's just say we're not at a unified decision, but a decision has to be made. You have to sign this contract before the end of the day. Men, this is where your leadership comes in. It really does. I must make a decision. And if we discover I'm right, men, that doesn't mean, why if I told you so? If you just listen to me, we got this right. Because guess what, guys? That's a two-way street. She will come to learn how hard it is to be a leader. But one thing you should not do is don't disrespect him, ladies, if he's wrong or nag him. You, she should know that she will stand before God as everyone else. And she shouldn't sit there and say, if you only would have listened to me. There's sin on both sides of that fence. It is a joint effort, but I as a man must lead, and I must lead even when it makes her mad, and I must seek to do what is right. Men, a woman finds it very easy to follow her husband in verse 22 when she sees a man dedicated to the glory of God. That one great purpose of Romans 8, 28, and 29 is what it's all about. Living for the kingdom and the benefit of his wife and his kids. Go on to verse 23, Ephesians 5, 23. It's going to walk through these verses together as, as far as we can. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself, its Savior. Men, I want you to read that again and plaster that in your minds. Christ is the head, but he is also the Savior. If you are to be a head of your family, men, then there is a sense you are your family's Savior, lowercase s. He doesn't take the place, men, you don't take the place of Christ and redemption. You can't save your family. Men, if you have wayward children, may I encourage you today to be more on your knees and you're more in your mouth talking to them necessarily. Point them back to Christ in prayer. Obviously talk to them about them. But remember that Christ is the one who does the work. You don't save anyone Christ does. But there is a sense, because the man is there, the wife and children, they prosper spiritually. God's salvation is noticeable in that man because he is working and laboring for their benefit to make them more like Christ. Romans 8, 28, 29. My, life's wi my, woo, my wife's life should be better because she's married to me. That the work of God in my kids is helped because I am there. Why? Because I'm Darren? No. Because as Christ gave his life for his bride, men, so we should give our lives. We should save our children to be a godly example, to teach them the word, to show them love, to set before them the commands of God. And this is our task, men. This is it. It's not to make a name for yourself. It's not to be whatever. It's not just to have another one with the guys. Friends, this is a command of Scripture. Men, this is a command. This is not a suggestion but a command, and you will be responsible before God for it. Are you leading your family in a way that points back to Christ? Look at verse 24. And it says, 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything, everything to their husbands. Let's be absolutely clear what this verse is not saying. This is not a recipe for men to be abusers. This is not a recipe for anything like that. What if the husband is physically abusive? Should the wife stay and be beaten? The answer is no. And I'm not talking divorce us, so I'm just talking about the, the immediacy. But if that man asks her to do something immoral, should she do it? The answer is what? No. Ladies, you seek Christ first, and you follow your husband so long as it doesn't go against the Scripture. I've shared this before, but every time I teach young people, I love this example because it fits so well. There's always that person who says, Darren, what if my parents tell me to make an atomic bomb? Well, when was the last time your parents asked you to do that? And they say, never. Then that's not your problem, young person. Your problem is that, is that your dad says, take out the trash, and you don't want to do it. The problem is, he says, don't dress like that, and you say, I don't want to obey that. That's the problem. Why? Because we're always looking for a way out, for an excuse not to obey authority. And that proves what kind of rebels we are. Whenever a feminist gets mad, they often say, I don't want to submit to a man. Let me take his role. And, and you want to say to that person, okay, feminist, go ahead. But before you do, do you know what it is? A woman has to honor and submit to his leadership. A husband's job is a little bit tougher than it may seem. What is it? He has to die for his family, perhaps literally for the sake of God's glory. Which one do you want to do? The harder task, it seems, lays on the husband. Ladies, when it says submit, that is not a dirty word. That's not a pharisaical word. That is, as your husband is following Christ as the head, you submit to his leadership. And then it gets back to the husband's. Guys, verse 25, husbands, it says, love your wives. All right, you ready for this? Guys, this means you buy her flowers. You take long walks on the beach with your bare feet. And this means that you write her poetry, perhaps, but it's deeper than that. Just as Christ gave himself up for her, you too between your marriage and your kids, if God's blessed you with that, have the greatest opportunity to die to self. You know, when I was a single pastor, and, and Matt, I imagine, I'm looking at you, brother, you probably felt this way too, all the ministry students, you felt like the Apostle Paul as a ministry student. You felt like you could get out there because you were so spiritual. Yeah, I don't need a wife and kids. Man, I can memorize the Bible. I can witness all day. I can get up and preach for 21 hours a day and go and sleep for three hours, and I am good to go. I thought I was the Apostle Paul. And then I got married after two weeks. I was wondering if I was really a Christian. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You know what marriage did, and it's still doing it day by day by the Spirit's grace. You know what marriage did? It brought out all of my self-centeredness. It brought out of my selfishness, and it gave me a chance to see what was always there and to repent of it. Trust me, I'm no Apostle Paul to lay down your life. How often, men, do we do that? In marriage, you are given the chance to lay down your life for the daughter God has given you. Young men or aspiring men to be married someday, to fulfill your calling is to be and serve as Christ has called you to serve, and often that is not what you want to do. Been up since, uh, I've been up since about 11 o'clock last night, so I don't know what that means, but I do know this. Our son is potty training, if I may be say that, and he's at the stage where he's learning, I need to go, I need to go. He was in that bathroom 10 times in 15 minutes last night. And I was about ready to, 
I don't know what I was about ready to do. I was about ready to jump out a window before the storms came last night about 8 o'clock. It was just so, ah. Sometimes dying to yourself means dying to your priorities and your time frame to teach your son what it means. And many of you know that. You've known that for years, but may you be reminded because marriage is a calling. Marriage is a calling. To fulfill your calling as a husband, you need to be reminded that it's all about being conformed, Romans 8, 28, 29, to the image of God in Christ. You know, my wife is a very beautiful woman, but here's what you need to see. If a young man walks in my office with that deer in the headlights, or for modern days, the walking dead zombie look, and says, Pastor, we need to talk, you already know what's happened to that young man, don't you? He's in love. Whatever that may mean, he's in love. And you, he needs to have a seat before he passes out. You know what I'm saying? It's just one of those things. You say, what's up? And he says, I'm in love, Pastor. But never love like this has the world ever seen. Forget Romeo and Juliet. The greatest love is what's happening right here. It's, not, it's something supernatural, I'm telling you. And I ask him, okay, well, can I record this? Because I need to like, make a best-selling book out of this. But tell me about it. He says, well, I want to be with her all the time. And, and you ask the question, well, why do you want to be with her all the time? She's pretty. She feels wonderful to be around. We can talk about anything. We share the same ideas. And you have to do the pastor thing. You have to ask that straightforward question. Do I understand you right? You want to marry this girl because she meets all of your selfish desires? Is that right? And what does the young man say? No, that's not what I mean. We're in love, pastor. Don't you get it? Haven't you ever been in love before, pastor, really? That's what you're saying, though. You're saying because she's pretty. But what happens when she's not pretty? What happens when those wrinkles start to come on after living for two weeks with you? <laughs> What's going to happen, young man, when someone comes along and says, you know, I'm a little more prettier than she is. Are you going to do what most men do and leave her and have that weird grandfather to granddaughter type marriage relationship? And you can talk to her? That's great. But what happens when you can't? Or you can talk to someone else better at your work who listens a little bit more deeply and more empathetically than the last person. What happens then? And then that zombie look looks a little bit different at the end of that conversation, doesn't it? Friends, marriage is a calling. Husbands, I'm married to my wife because God has called me to it. I had choice in that, yes, and we can talk free will and sovereignty all day, but it's an irreversible calling. If she's beautiful, praise God. But if she's in an accident and she's deformed, I'm not going to go anywhere but leaving her because that's not what the models look like. Men, it's called laying down your life to die so another person might prosper. And when kids come along to die, to die again. And every diaper to die again. And I mean that. Christians talk about dying for self. We talk about going to countries far and far wide to go share the gospel. But to die to the self for the sake of the person closest to you is the greatest mission field that you have. You can go, look, I, one reason I believe as I've self-inspected myself over the last few years, one reason I believe I was able to go to Westport time after time after time after time every night to talk to people I didn't know is because I was afraid to let people too close into me. Because I was afraid to die to self before the Lord. Why is you're probably feeling pretty good right now. You're smiling like that cat licking his chops after going outside and getting the dinner. But you may have all this wrong. Your husband just ought to be your slave, you may be saying. And before you say, let me go be happy, give me the credit card, 
be remember this. He's called to lay down his life for you, not just to make you happy, but to make you holy. That is his job by God's grace. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 goes on to say this. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then in verse 26, that he, the husband, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with the word. And we'll, we'll end it right there. Ladies, I'm not called to lead my family. And men, you're not called to lead your family to give your wife all that she desires. Because she is like me, not all her desires are right. And I'm called to leave my life that she might grow in holiness. That's the call of the husband at all times. So that she might be pure, that she might stand before God without wrink, wrinkle or spot. How do we do this work of sanctifying her? We do it by washing her with the water of the word. Now, some would get up and say, Darren, you're a pastor. Does that mean you set Natalie in a chair and you just preach at her for an hour a day and do those sorts of things? That would be amazing. I can, I can testify to that, but I bet I wouldn't get a slap in the face two minutes after that happened. That's not what this means, but this is to give her the gospel, the gospel that cleanses her. How am I washing my wife? I pray it's by teaching her all the amazing things about what Jesus said in the Bible. I pray it's that forgiveness is there, that the patience is there, that when she is off base, that I'm leading her in a way imperfectly as I am back to the cross, because that's where we all stand equal. Not only to teach her the gospel of the word, but to show her the gospel with my life, and she does the same to me. But I should be leading this man. I shouldn't have to wait for my wife to prompt me to lead her in the word. Even if it's just reading, you say, Darren, where do I start? I've never done this before. Pick up Genesis 1 and read one verse with her. Talk about it. It's that simple. Guys, I bet you you were talking about, uh, Chris, you and I were joking about this before. The, the lights went out right as the royals were really getting walloped last night, if you noticed that. Guys, we could talk sports, hunting, cars, you name it all day. But why do we get so sheepish about the greatest thing God has? So what if you don't have a Bible education? So what if you've never done it before? That's never stopped you from doing your favorite hobby before, men, has it? That you've never met a task that you can't go after hard, men. See, Darren, I don't know where to start with my teaching my wife the word. Just start Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Talk to her about that. Pray about that. And yes, you can even get the little goofy line in there. God created the heavens and the earth, and he also gave me you. That's a great creation right there. That's a free pickup line for your wife for date night, okay? But men, in all seriousness, who is the responsible one in your home to lead spiritually? It's you. Who is it for your kids? Look, I love our kids' ministries here, but it is not the ministry of our children's workers here to disciple your kids. Men, women, that is your time at home. I love, I love coloring, but coloring about Noah for one hour a week is not going to teach your kids as much as our teachers use that to point to Christ. It goes every day. Wash them in the word, men. Lead them in the gospel that they may know Christ. Look at verse 27. We're going to try and wrap it up here in a few minutes. Verse 27, Paul goes on. Why do you do these things? He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, referring to Christ, without spot or wrinkle in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, I, I've had this happen uh, at, at another church before where a man came up to me as a youth pastor and said, Darren, I no longer, I've been married to my wife for like 10, 15 years, I think it was, and I don't like my wife anymore. I'm ready to leave. What do you say to that person? What would you say to that person? Go out and eat one more time? No, I with the wise words of a pastor mentor in my mind, I looked at him and said, sir, you need to repent 
He said, why? You don't like your wife? Have you been washing her in the word? No. Have you been praying for her daily? No. Have you been seeking to be an example for Christ before what it looks like to be a Christian? No. Then, sir, the reason you don't like your wife is because of you. Not doing what you've been called to do. Isn't that amazing? Men, we complain about our wives, but how much time do we invest in our wives? We complain about our kids, but have you turned your kids over to godless people to be taught by? Friends, why should we complain? How much time do we invest? We feel like we have the right to complain, but not the responsibility to invest. Men, we must repent of that. Men, if you want to see change in your family, it starts with you. Yes, wives, it starts with you praying for them, but a man dedicated to teaching his wife the scriptures, his kids the scriptures, to model, to pray for them, he's going to see transformation going on. There should be. We could stop right there and all the men could just come up here and repent, myself being chief among them, but we aren't doing that right now. Men, do you see how God's people perish for lack of knowledge? Men, this is what it means to be a man. You work hard all day to provide for your family. Many of you are retired. You still work hard. You come home and you work even harder. Then you go to bed very, very tired. And then you get up the next morning and you do it all over again. Well, that's not what I signed up for when I married her. Oh, but that's what God's using to make you more like him. Amen? And you do it for him and you do it for her and for those kids and you lead your family. You know, when I'm at church, I don't often go out. I don't have time. We don't have time to do that. But I have to get home to a woman. I have to get home to some kids. I have to get work done. And a pastor is supposed to lead in these ways. But there are so many pastors who pride themselves in saying, you know, I spent 26 hours on ministry this week just at the church in one straight day. I never slept. I was up with that Red Bull all night. But I haven't seen my kids for two days. But boy, I sacrificed for Jesus. Men, don't lose yourself in church work so much that you lose your point of what God has called you to do. Verses 28 and 29. We'll keep trucking with this as far as we get. Just have a couple more minutes. He goes on to say, In the same way, Paul says, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Men, when you fight with your wife or you fight with the woman in your life and try and tear her down, you're eating yourself and destroying yourself. This is not the way of Christ. How are you to nourish her? Men, teach her. Lead her. Nourish your family. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. Remember, it's your responsibility. You must be the one, men, to know the Bible in your family so you can pour into them. They can be nourished by you, and that is so important. Men, you cannot put the burden of leading your family spiritually on your wife. You say, Darren, I'm not a very good thinker. I'm not very deep. I'm not very this. But yes, you can learn it. Men, you know so much more. I, I've joked about this for some of you guys. Uh, Richard, I, brother, I'm going to point out to you because I always remember this when we look at this, this TV above here. Uh, many of you remember a couple years ago, we, we had the, the TV that could, uh, it was like an anvil with, uh, it dropped on your head and you were going to die, like Tom and Jerry cartoons up here. And one December, I remember, and I love all the men involved, and they helped. Some of the smartest men were up here trying to figure out, how do we get that TV? Guys, you remember this, Rick? I think you, we were trying to figure this out, right? How do we get, we're just all looking at each other, and they're saying, Pastor, what do you do? Well, pray for us, you know. And then Richard Ream comes in. And Richard Ream says, I don't know what you said, but you said, do this, do this, and do that. And you could have cut the knife with a, you could have cut that room with a knife. 
Richard, you, God just blessed you that day, brother. And we pulled that big TV. I didn't pull that. I watched the big guys do it. They pulled that TV down and got it up there. And Richard, you were MacGyver or something. Your pulley system worked out pretty well. Men, you know, and we had, and this is not a bad thing And all the men that were here, but just sometimes, men, we are skilled in so many ways. You can think about things, do things. You lead well in your family, other places. And this isn't saying that to any of the people, but men, how are we leading in the home? Even if you've been married for 40 or 50 years, men, how are we leading in the home? Have we settled into the fact that we're just going to go to Sunday night, Sunday morning, you know, Wednesday, as we look towards that in the fall? Are we just content with that? Or do we really want our wives to know more about Christ? Many of you say, I'm struggling in that. We have plenty of men in here who would love to lead you in that. And I, I promise you they're not going to twist your arm, not going to make you look like a bad guy. Men, we are skilled in so many things. But may the biggest skill we have is pointing our wives, our children, our grandchildren, our families back to Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. I'm going to skip ahead in my notes here for sake of things. But men, I just want you to know, uh, skip down to verse 33. I'm skipping through it. This is, if you were giving this at a sermon class, this would probably, a seminary class would probably get you a D plus at best because of all the jumping around. I acknowledge that. But will you go down to verse 33 as we close? Paul says this. He says, however, let each one love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. You know, as a man, I don't need, ladies, my wife to call me five times a day and tell me that she loves me. I just don't. I'm a man and an animal, but I don't need those things. But she does, often does. doesn't say that men shouldn't respect their wives. It doesn't say that wives should respect or shouldn't love their husbands. They should. Husbands need love and wives need respect. But men, if you assume that your wife is like you, you are in trouble. You may say, Darren, I don't need to be reminded that I'm loved, but your wife does. I don't need my wife to call me. I don't need her to send me flowers at the office. That would be weird, Darren, a man getting flowers from his wife. I mean, really? Yeah, husband, but she does. Love your wives and show them that you love them. Tell them that you love them. Say, Darren, I'm not a mushy, gushy, harlequin kind of reading kind of man. But you are a man of God. If you aspire to do that, show your wife you love her. Just care for her. Repent and get like that. Wives, I don't need to be called three times a day, but I do need my wife's respect. That doesn't mean it should be automatic in the sense that if I'm in sin, I should repent of that sin. But that's what I desire. You want, to be your, you want your husband to love you? Lady, do you love and respect your husband, as the scripture just said? Or are you constantly tearing him down? Do you give him no honor? Do you not acknowledge his very authority? Listen, I could be on, I, and I've had this happen at times, you could be on under attack from the outside world in a lot of ways, and they could say, we're going to go kill Darren. That happened in Westport a couple times. I'm not saying that to be public. Just we preached the gospel, things came out. And people hated our gospel presence. I don't care if all the people in Westport were holding picket signs saying, we're going to kill Darren, we're going to kill Darren. I can take that. But if I have lost the respect of my wife, you can take all those picket things and jam them into me, and it won't even be a, an ounce of what that hurt is. Ladies, if your husband is worthy of respect, have you repented and asked God to forgive you for your lack of respect? Ladies, you're not a doormat. You're not a pushover. You're not something that is just going to be barefoot and pregnant. We've said that so many times. But ladies, as your husband seeks to lead, as imperfect as he is, have you considered how your attitude has affected his leadership? Men, 
equally have you led in such a way that has domineered so that your wife sees no respect in you, that you have need to repent of that as well? It's a pretty deep issue, isn't it? This is more deep than we have time to go through. But here's the prayer for the week. Men, pray that God would give you strength, and he will, and he already has, to lead your families as you ought. Ladies, pray that God give you strength to follow as you ought, created equally, but with distinct roles. Let's pray as we close. Father, as we